0: Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Last week, the Biden administration imposed sanctions on five Turkish companies and a Turkish national, accusing them of helping Russia evade sanctions and supporting Moscow in its war against Ukraine. U.S. officials have repeatedly pushed Turkey to crack down on Russian circumvention of sanctions, particularly when it comes to the export of chemicals, microchips, and other products that can be used in Moscow's war effort. Expert Sinan Chidi joins me to look at this latest round of sanctions, which underscore that despite repeated warnings, Turkey continues to help fuel Russia's war machine. Sinan Chidi is a non-resident senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, where he contributes to FDD's Turkey program and Center on Military and Political Power. He's also an associate professor of security studies at the Command and Staff College Marine Corps University and Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Sinan, great having you back on The Greek Current. Uh, Good to be with you, Thanos. Thank you. Sinan, a week ago the U.S. imposed sanctions on Turkish entities for helping Russia evade sanctions. What entities is the U.S. targeting and what kind of sanctions busting are we talking about? So good
1: points to bring up. Let me just sort of qualify these sanctions. So what we're talking about is the U.S. Treasury imposing sanctions on Turkish private companies, Turkish entities and persons affiliated with those, specifically for continuing to provide what is referred to as dual-use technology to the Russian military. What that means in practice, basically, is this. Think of private companies such as appliance companies or intermediaries which ship microchips that are commonly used in things like you know, appliances such as fridges or computers or you know, dishwashers. And specifically, they're called dual use because they could be used to operate the dishwasher or they could be reprogrammed to operate a cruise missile, <laughs> uh, which is what the Russians are in drastically short supply of. Now, the United States has imposed sanctions on basically any country or, you know, based on Russia acquiring these from the international market, saying if companies and entities continue to supply the Russian Federation with these sort of microchips, dual-use technology, then and countries aren't actually prevented from doing so, preventing the Russians acquiring them, then we can impose secondary sanctions directly onto these corporate entities and freeze their assets and basically prevent them from doing business in the United States. This has been quite effective in reining in a lot of corporate entities around the world, mainly because these companies have a vested interest in doing business with the United States. If not, they don't want their bank accounts frozen or assets frozen. But these aren't specific sanctions necessarily against Turkey as the republic because it remains to be seen or whether the U.S. Treasury is following up with this, whether these entities are actually in coordination with the Turkish government in helping Russia evade these sanctions, right? So it's a qualitative difference, but it is important to underline. So Turkey is not being sanctioned with these, but specific Turkish private entities. Now, the obvious question remains, to what extent and to what degree is the Turkish government aware of these companies and entities actually evading sanctions to provide the Russians
0: with these technologies? Taking a broader look at this, Sinan, you know, U.S. officials in the past have pushed repeatedly for Turkey to crack down on Russian sanctions evasion. Is this latest decision a sign that Washington is more or less unsatisfied with Ankara's efforts so far? I think so. I think that's the essential bottom line. This is not the first
1: time this has occurred. You know, we at FDD have been following this for years now, certainly since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, where Turkey or Turkish entities have evaded sanctions on multiple levels, and they have been sanctioned designated and, you know, the U.S. government's displeasure at this has been communicated to the Turkish government, essentially saying, hey, look, you've got to put an end to this. You've got to police your own companies much more robustly to avoid this sort of ongoing abilities of the Russians to repurpose refrigerator chips so that we can use cruise missiles to prosecute Putin's illegal war. And it seems to be the case that, you know, either the Turkish government's not paying attention and or they're just unable to sort of police this much circumnavigating all of existing sanctions. But it also it's not an isolated affair. I mean, You know, just recently in the last week, Israeli authorities have basically uncovered or disrupted 16 tons of material that is directly used in the making of bombs by Hamas. These 16 tons that were shipped from Turkey were seized at the Israeli border, and 16 tons of rocket-making material that then Hamas uses to fire rockets upon Israeli citizens. It seems to suggest that, again, if the Turkish government's not aware of it, then, you know, the best explanation is it's just that it cannot police it. The most damning of it would be that they're actually complicit in this and that this is how they basically, you know, on the one hand, you have the Turkish government saying, well, you know, we're not supplying chips to the Russians or bomb making equivalent to Hamas. But at the subsurface level, if they're complicit, which we- hasn't been proven yet, then it's another way of saying this is how Turkey essentially gets around its willingness to, fight, you know, continue finding Hamas with raw materials, but also leveraging its extent, you know, playing both sides in the Ukraine-Russia war by essentially allowing the Russians to acquire much-needed microelectronics to essentially prosecute their illegal war.
0: So far, Sinan, the Biden administration has only designated a handful of Turkish entities you know, that support Russian-sanctioned evasion. Given the bigger picture and the broader questions that you've raised just now, do you think that this needs to change? And what steps can Washington take here?
1: So, absolutely. I, I think it also signals that the Biden administration is relatively clueless on how it wants to deal with Turkey or how it should deal with Turkey by not just how I think, but also a number of Turkey watchers on this issue. I think Henri Barkey wrote a very good piece recently in Foreign Affairs magazine, where he stated that, look, there's a way to deal with Turkey that stops them or would stop them sort of working against the interests of the Western alliance, specifically NATO and the European Union, in how it gets to constrain Russia, which is basically read them the riot act, Right. Get them to put an end to this. The Turkish government has vast resources. If they wanted to police sanctions, evasions, they could. If they wanted to rein in Hamas, they could. The whole point about this is, is that the administration has to be consistent. It has to be forceful and say, if you continue to provide raw materials to Hamas, then this is what will happen to you. If you would like to receive military sales from the United States, here's what we would like you to do. If you don't do this, then you're not going to get it, right? The, you know, Consistency is the key here. And what we're seeing instead is, on the one hand, Treasury sanctioning relatively few number of Turkish entities and persons that seem to be circumnavigating sanctions. On the other hand, we see the administration tripping over itself to sort of please Erdogan, whereby they say, oh, you know, in return for proving Sweden's membership of NATO, we'll work right now ahead of that to extend a $35 billion line of credit to you from the World Bank with no, basically no conditions attached, so that you get to say yes. So, Uh, you know, Erdogan looks at this and says, sweet, I mean, maybe I'll say yes or no over Sweden, but I'm glad I might be getting, you know, an unconditional line of credit for $35 billion to basically spend that how I wish, so that I can, as this autocratic leader of Turkey, be enabled to do what I want without any repercussions. So I don't think the Biden administration is, you know, and it's not just Biden administration, this is traceable basically across the Biden, Trump and Obama administrations. They simply don't want to sort of really handle Turkey in a more forceful manner in the way that, you know, they've approached ever sort of less than credible allies.
0: Looking at the relationship more broadly, Sinan, you just wrote a piece in which you argued that Turkey's transactional approach to its relationship with the West needs to be repaid in kind to steal, you know, part of the title of the piece there. The UN General Assembly was an opportunity to approach Erdogan along these lines. Was that opportunity taken?
1: I don't think so. I mean, and here's what the Biden administration gets for dealing with Erdogan in a sort of fuzzy, you know, an inconsistent manner. Erdogan went before the cameras to a major news outlet in the United States public broadcasting service and stated that he trusts Russia as much as it trusts the United States. And that's the bottom line for us, right? And that should be frustrating to everybody that basically looks at how it wants to deal with Turkey. You know, we are being shortchanged with this. And just to put this into context and how this could work. Back in 2015, November, the Turkish military authorities shot down a Russian fighter jet inside of its airspace, a Russian jet inside of its airspace, which sort of got everybody inside of NATO's hair ruffled, simply because would this be a pretext for Turkey essentially, you know, trying to invoke Article 5 of NATO if the Russians should sort of strike back in retaliation? But put that to one side, immediately following that jet downing, the Russian government took such strict measures against Erdogan in terms of ending Russian tourism to Turkey, in stopping agricultural exports from Turkey, et cetera, et cetera. Very consistent, punitive, forceful measures that within six months, Erdogan wrote a letter of apology to Putin saying that he regretted this, right? Mainly because Russia's actions got close to contracting the Turkish economy by close to 0.5% of its GDP. That's what we mean by consistency. And if, if the United States, if it wanted to be you know, net positive results from all the interactions of Turkey, just said, look, as a NATO ally, you need to approve Sweden's membership. As a NATO ally, you need to take more forceful measures against Russia in its ongoing legal war with Ukraine. You need to stop antagonizing Greece and Cyprus and other allies if you would like to receive F-16 sales. You need to recognize Hamas as a terrorist entity and take forceful measures to boot it out of your territory. Otherwise, this is how we're not going to work with you and keep that consistency up, I think it would uh, result in positive measures. But, you know, if we just say, oh, well, if you might consider approving Swedish membership, then ahead of that time, we might essentially try to get you a $35 billion line of credit from the World Bank behind the scenes. That does not help our cause because Erdogan interprets that as, I can play the United States, right, and the Western Alliance to leverage what I want out of them, which is weapon sales. I may or may not approve NATO expansion, right? But I also get to sort of, you know, benefit uh, out of my relationship with Russia by selling them dual-check technology or at least turning a blind eye to it. You see what I mean? It's just a sort of dual-layered sort of, I get the best of both worlds. We can avoid that if we're just more consistent and forceful
0: with how we deal with Turkey. Sinan, it's been great speaking with you as always. Thanks again for joining us. Pleasure, Thanos. Thank you. In other news, thousands of Greek public sector workers, including teachers, doctors, and transport staff, marched in Athens on Thursday during a strike against planned labor law changes by the government, which was re-elected in June. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis' government says the overhaul would eliminate undeclared work and boost employment overall, but labor unions and the opposition say it is an assault on workers' rights. The one-day nationwide strike, called by Greece's largest public sector union, is the first walkout since the Mitsotakis government's re-election for a second term. Lawmakers with the main opposition, Syriza, said the government was pushing an agenda against workers. Finally, the Cypriot government and Chevron International reaffirmed on Wednesday that the development of the Aphrodite gas field, located in the country's exclusive economic zone, is of strategic importance. The issue was discussed during a meeting which President Nikos Christodoulides had in New York with Chevron's President Clay Neff and other officials of the company. On the part of Chevron, it was noted that the development of the gas field constitutes a priority for the company and takes place in the framework of energy plans in the Eastern Mediterranean. The two sides also exchange views regarding the plans carried out for the exploitation of energy resources in Cyprus's exclusive economic zone. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.